Well, hey, Northside, great to be able to welcome everybody here. An incredible time of worship and celebrate a life change. We're so glad you guys are here. And also want to take a moment to welcome everybody in the centrum and also online. Let's welcome them into the room. So glad you guys are here with us today. And uh, one more person I'd like to welcome in, into the room uh, by way of video, and hopefully if he tests negative, he'll get to preach next weekend, okay? Yeah, Nathan went down with that like everybody else. He's doing a lot better. I think he's taking two or three tests just to see if he can get positive again so he can be back, but he, he's out of the loop, so here we are, the old right-hander from the bullpen coming in. <laughs> So it's always a thrill just to encourage one another in our faith and certainly here in the, the life of Northside. So glad to have this opportunity as we end this series. Uh, only a three-week series, we began On Your Marks, and uh, last weekend was a little more of the get set, and this, it's go time. And we'll be talking about the, the calling that God has for us, and, and making that handoff, and being able to, to make sure that as we try to reconcile people to a faith and turn them back to the Lord, which is what this whole series has been about, that we take to heart that this is exactly what he wants us to do the rest of the life, the life that we have here on this earth. Now, I grew up in Illinois, moved in and married in to uh, southern Indiana uh, in the mid to late 70s. I remember uh, growing up, that I, I love little sayings that you hear here and there. Uh, in Illinois, my, my dad would say, I don't know if it's real common, but many people would say it, even today, in the nursing home, uh, uh, I'll get a visit this afternoon, and uh, he'll probably say it as soon as I talk about that. Hey, Dad, look at that traffic out there on Highway 31. Man, they're going awful fast, aren't they? And he'll say, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody ever hear, I'd say? Uh, it, probably a little more Illinois. Maybe it's crossed over here. I, I move into uh, southern Indiana and uh, talk with a few other folks. I think it's a little derived from eastern Kentucky. And anytime they'll agree with you, but they may question you a little bit. A actually, Sue Lynn's family taught me this one because I, I met her dad, stepdad, and grandpa all in the same week. Uh, her dad is Gary, her stepdad is Larry, and her grandpa is Harry. No, no kidding. <laughs> And I thought, I'm, I'm going to mess this up at some point. But I kept him pretty straight. And Harry, her grandpa, uh, her papa was really something. And anytime I'd try to tell him a story, what's going on in church, this and that, he'd look at me, he'd say, is that right? Any, anybody here say, is that right? Yeah. Oh, but I'm telling you, you go just a little bit in the northern part of Scott County, and they had a saying that I heard in the 70s all the time when they agree with you, and they want to put an exaggeration on that, and it is, son... I'd imagine, you know, straight out of Hazard, Kentucky, I think. And uh, anybody ever hear son, I'd imagine? Four people from Austin, I thought that would be it. There, there's something about being able to say, hey, I really agree with this, or oh, I think that's really something. And my hope is, at the end of today, that will be our heart to hear what God says in this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, and maybe not to say, is that right, but down deep really believe it, but just to say, God, if that's what, if that's what you're saying, then I'd say, I'd say that's what I want to do. Son, I'd imagine that's what I'm going to try to do. So I hope in our heart there is this understanding as we finish this series that God does want us more than anything else to understand that it really is all about our connection with Christ, our community that we talked about, the new identity that we have in him, the new community we have in his family, and yet this calling to move from the posture, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, of, of being upward towards him, reaching outward and sharing this message, always letting the love of Christ refuel our heart inwardly 
and then moving on rather than looking back to how God has blessed us before, moving onward to what he has. Now, if you want to follow along uh, uh, online, we're in 2 Corinthians 5 and uh, out of the New Living Translation. Let me read these verses. Rather than go a little verse, a little point, a little voice, verse, a little point, I want to try to get the whole passage in and then ask three questions that we can dive in about today. Here's the, here's the passage. Paul says, and all of this, in verse 18, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people back to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God's making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The reason I kind of hesitate and throw a phrase at a time is so it'll sink into me and sink into my mind and my heart and all of us together. This is the essence of the gospel. So I, I hope the early uh, church would look at and hear what Paul is saying and just say, I'd say I'd say this is so important. This mission is so, is so important. Paul says to the Romans in his first chapter in another area, he just said, I'm not ashamed of this message. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's the power of God to salvation, first to the Jews and then to the Greeks and whoever will come to believe. That, that word, the power of the gospel is the Greek word dunamis, which we get the word dynamite. It is the explosive part. God's word, when we hear it, and the message that he died in our place, sent his son for us, and now we can be forgiven, is what explodes in our heart, that truth. So let me ask these three questions this weekend as we end this series. Let's be clear on this. Number one, okay, what has been done? If, if we're here in our life now, and God only knows the number of days that we have, and we have this chance to honor him and know him and love him and share him, then what really has been done? And four things. Number one is, please know that this gift has been given, the gift of reconciliation and drawing us back to God. You and I cannot earn that. We read that in other places in Scripture, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We're saved by grace, through faith, uh, for good works, not by good works. It's a free gift that God has given to us, but it wasn't free to him. It wasn't free to the God who made us in his image. The second part that is true and a check that you can cash and take to the bank is this spiritual truth is that a price was paid. Sometimes we think we have to pay the price of religion and, oh, we got to straighten up and we got to not do that and we got to go do that. And you never know if you've done uh, uh, enough little of that and stayed away or enough of those good things. And that's not the case at all. The price was paid. It was the sacrifice of Jesus. And we have been reconciled to him. We have been bought with a price, not by our effort, but by his perfect life. Now, I grew up on the old hymns. I'm guessing a few of you did, particularly at the 945. I think there's a higher percentage, okay? Although some folks knew the, the lyrics to this one last night. Does anybody remember Blessed Assurance? Okay, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation means we've inherited this saving relationship. And then the next phrase, purchased 
of God. We have been bought with a price. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Great theology in all the old hymns. We don't have to sing them all the time, but man, wouldn't it be good if we knew them and just learned the lyrics or relearned the lyrics and said, help me understand uh, where, where this phrase comes about. That being purchased, being bought with a price. God doesn't say we pay the price. We just surrender our life. We pledge our allegiance to him. So a gift was given, a price was paid, and now our sins have been removed. If you're like me, there's been a time or two that you knew God has forgiven you, but you still feel pretty bad. <laughs> you still pretty feel very much regretful. How many have had a regret or two in your life? Far more than Frank Sinatra in my way, okay? Got to be kidding me with that song. All of us wrestle with that. Even when we know the grace of God, we sometimes wrestle with the shame that, doggone, I should have known better, and, and this and that. Let me read a passage from Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, David writes these words, and this is an incredible psalm. It's an incredible moment to look and to see the depth of his heart for God, his understanding of forgiveness. I'll start reading it in verse 8 through 12. He says, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins for he doesn't deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Now listen to this verse, verse 12. He has removed our sins as far from us as the, anybody know, east is from the west. Ding, ding, ding. Thanks for playing. You guys know that verse. It's a great verse to remember. Our sins, the things, the rebellion, the, the mistrust, the disobedience, all of that that we have repented of and said, God, I'm sorry, I trust you, that has been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. I remember about 10 years ago in a sermon, I thought, when preaching on this, I thought, I'm going to get one of those old globes, you know, that you see in a schoolroom and, and just spin it around for a while to understand. And a lot of you already know the, the, the importance of this passage and how it's so much more important that the Bible says our sins are as far as the east is from the west rather than the north from the south. Let me explain, all right? Let me unpack that a little bit. If you and I headed on uh, 64 headed east, you know, we'd eventually get pretty much to the... Uh, to the shores of the nation out there on, on the Atlantic. We'd keep on going, have to take a boat for a while. If you kept going east, 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 you never would go west. You'd keep on going east. If you and I took off uh, towards St. Louis on 64 and headed west, we'd have to paddle to Hawaii and keep on paddling and all of that. We would never, be, west never becomes east. But if you and I took off north, eventually north become south, the two meet. And God says, my sins, your sins have been taken away by my grace from you as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up to us again. Amen? That's good news. Even though we wrestle with residual guilt and shame and regret, and I think Paul did, I think Peter did, they just had to 
realign that and say, God, don't let me, don't let me feel that way anymore. Uh, I, I love the baptism we, we got to experience. I love everyone that we get to experience uh, here. I, I remember one long time ago on the Grant Line uh, uh, campus, anybody remember back being there? Okay, it's a long time ago. And, and I remember I'd only been here a few months and, and they hadn't even given me a key to the baptistry, you know. So I, 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 uh, I, I didn't know how we we're going to get in there. And I had a family after the last service that came up and I could tell, okay, they wanted to talk. And it was just a young couple. They had three kids running around, and I'm one of those. Let them run in church. You know, at least they're here. I don't. It doesn't bother me at all. And, and I remember talking with them, and I could tell they wanted to talk after. That's when we had a Saturday, and then three on Sunday, eight thirty, ten, eleven thirty, and and everybody's gone, but they wanted to talk for a moment. And I said, "Hey, um, glad to meet you guys. What, what can we? Can I help in any way?" And they said, yeah, we've been coming here about a month. And, and he, he said, I've been baptized, but she hadn't been baptized. And she wanted to today, if we could. I said, oh, that's, that's great. That's great. Now, had you talked to anybody? Uh, no, didn't know we needed to. I said, well, well, that's okay. We can talk a little bit now. I said, do you have any questions about that? No, we've been listening to you the last four weeks in a row. Understand everything. We're ready. Got our bag right here. Okay, that, that's, that's great. Uh, and we kind of talked through understanding we're made in God's image. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and yet what Jesus did for us changes everything. Uh, he was the perfect, you know, just the basic kind of stuff of the gospel. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So anyway, we, we, we go on, and, and like I say, everybody's gone. And that was when we were in the gym, but we had to come back into the little sanctuary. If you remember that one, seated about 400. And I have to climb over the organ to get in to undo the, the, the door since I don't have a key, all right, for that. And, and then we can all get in there, change clothes, and go on in. And uh, so her husband and three little kids are out there, and she and I are in the baptistry. And, and I just usually let everybody know, uh, okay, now here's, here's what to expect. Don't be nervous. Uh, just after I say a few words, give you a chance to acknowledge your faith, just kind of grab your hand, doesn't matter which one, and that gives me something to hold on to. Oh, okay. And then uh, just bend your knees, haven't lost anybody yet. I'll get you right back up, okay? Just, just, uh, we, we, we go through all that. And, uh, and then I give her that chance to express her faith. And I mentioned, you're now being baptized. And she said, wait, 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 just a second. I said, what, what's that? She says, now I got a question. <laughs> I want to say, well, we have a no back out policy right now here. But, but I, I didn't do that. But I, I remember her question was just so important. And she just teared up just a little bit and she looked at me and she said, does this mean that everything I've ever done that was wrong in God's eyes doesn't matter anymore? That he'll forgive me of everything? And I said, well, I've preached four times this weekend. I got one more in me. Yeah. And we talked about that just a little bit, you know, and we stayed till we're turning into a prune and then we baptized her. And, and, and I, but I remember that was just such a, a moment of, of, of honesty and just saying, this is how I feel. This is a question I got. Does this really mean that? And that's why this first question is, what really has happened? And in our lives, God has absolutely done that. He has given us this gift. He has paid the price. He has forgiven us, given us our sins. And now we get an invitation. This invitation was made to you and I of the mission to join his mission and become the ambassadors that he wants. 
I looked up ambassador in the dictionary. It just simply says a sovereign person. In other words, you're appointed. Sovereign as a resident representative of his or her government appointed for a special and often temporary assignment of a diplomatic task in nature. In other words, it is a short-term gig that we have to get to tell people about the Lord. It is while we have breath and while we have this opportunity, and that is the umbrella of this passage of on your mark, get set, go. We've got to go and we've got to tell. And that brings us to the second question, what, what is yet to be done? If those things have been done on our behalf and we've been given this opportunity and calling, then what's yet to be done? Three things. Number one, our job is yet to be done. Our job of taking it to the streets with all due respect to the Doobie Brothers has not been fulfilled yet. You and I have not done, I haven't, I haven't reached out in every opportunity that I want to or need to or get to. And we have the whole world that is waiting to hear and needs to hear this message of reconciliation. And we have a world that many times, even if they have faith, they will need to be reminded of this. I love the story in Luke 7, talks about John the Baptist. He has not been politically correct. He's confronted the Jewish leader of an immoral relationship, and he's in cell block C as a result of that. He's thrown in jail. During a moment, I think of needing affirmation, like all of us have in our faith. He sends some of his followers to go listen to Jesus and ask him something. Are you the one or did we miss something here? And he didn't say, because I'm kind of alone and I didn't see it ending this way. I mean, he was the one who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one who baptized Jesus when he said, it should be you baptizing me. And Jesus said, I know, <laughs> but I'm going to fulfill all righteousness. I'm not going to be rebellious of God's command, even though I don't need this. I'm, I'm, I'm submitting in that beautiful example. But yet John has a little trouble with that. He just needs to hear the words of Jesus one more time. Now, there was a singer in the 80s, Christian guy named Carmen, and uh, he would always do these story songs. And I love this little story song. I won't sing it, but here's some of the lyrics to it about John the Baptist. And as he writes this song, he says, uh, uh, John the Baptist is stuck in prison and he felt discouraged, so you know what? He sent his disciples on over to Jesus to ask them, are you the Messiah or not? Well, they found the master down by the river preaching the kingdom has come at last. And they said, sir, please excuse us. There's just one question we need to ask. Are you the one or are we going to have to look for another? Are you the one? Are you the one, Jesus, or are we going to have to look for another? Are you the one? And Jesus turned to those disciples and he said, boys, just watch me now. And he performed some mighty wonders that amazed and awed the crowd. Those disciples, they shook in his presence. They were nearly turning green. And he said, boys, go tell John not only what you've heard, but what you've seen. He must be the one. 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 So those disciples, they flew back to that dirty prison to the Baptist, and they said, hey, John, put down the locusts and the honey, and hey, brother, listen to this. We've seen some things. I said, seen some things, and we've heard even more. John, we got something to tell you about this man they call the Lord. There was a man there vexed with demons, made him scream and shout. Just one touch of Jesus' hand. Those demons came right out. He healed a girl that was crippled, John. Her back was bent and sore. Hey, you remember that old blind man? <laughs> he ain't flying no more. Now hold on for this one. Just sit back on your bed. 
We've seen it with our own two eyes. This man raises the dead. John jumps up and says, brothers, don't look another further. He is the one. He just needed the words of Jesus one more time. Jesus went on. If you know that passage, it's, it's a beautiful passage, but it, it mentions who gets neglected in our job many times. Because those disciples did go and say, uh, John wants to know, did we miss something? Are you the one? And Jesus said, uh, you go tell John that the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear and uh, the lepers are cured and the dead are raised back to life. Then he says one other thing. It's like on Sesame Street. Which one of these doesn't fit? This one didn't fit. And he says, and the gospel is preached to the poor. He's saying, John, a part of my will is to draw attention to my Father in heaven and to declare who he is, but to people who get neglected. Now, I don't know who we're neglecting, but I I know we're probably neglecting all sorts of people that might be in our path or on our heart around us. And God has called us to make sure that we, we let others know this great message Our job is yet to be done. Their choice is yet to be made. A lot of folks I've seen through life have said, nah, nah, I don't think so. We'll think about it later. And then when the wheels come off of your life, uh, I'd like to talk about God and, and can I trust him at all? You see, don't give up on people because they may not have made their choice yet. Philippian jailer in Acts 16, here he's overseeing the jail. Paul and Silas, they're, they're uh, in prison and, and they're singing hymns late at night. Here comes this big earthquake and, and all the, the doors open up. Everybody takes off except Paul and Silas probably. And this jailer knows if everybody escapes, I'm gonna be executed. It's gonna be humiliating for my family. He draws his sword. He's just gonna take his own life. He's got three choices. Take my life, let myself be executed in front of my family to shame. And all of a sudden, Paul sees what's happening as he's pulled his sword to take his life. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. He interrupts him and he said, we're not going anywhere. And when we interrupt people in their life of depression, sometimes they will say to us what that Philippian jailer said to Paul. In question form, what must I do to be saved? How do I know if this thing is real? How do I know if God cares? And we get a chance to speak truth into their heart and life because maybe they haven't made their ultimate choice. Is that your final answer yet? The third part of that is his will is yet to be accomplished. Many of us are confused about what God's will is. Sometimes we think, well, I... I don't know, God, is it your will for me to take this job or that job, do this, live over there? What what should I do? And God's will is really pretty simple. I I want you to read it aloud with me as it appears on the screen. It's from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Let's say it aloud together. This is his will, okay? The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone 
to repent. God does not want anyone to perish. He does not want anyone to miss out on heaven. He wants everyone to get to heaven. How do you get there? You believe and you repent. You turn towards him. I used to think that God's waiting on the world to repent. I believe he is. But I think sometimes he's waiting on the church to show them how. He's waiting on us to live that out. Now, the third and final question. Don't you love that word, and finally, you know? Third and final question. You know what it means, though, right? (laughs) It doesn't mean a thing. The third question. (laughs) It means I'm trying to land the plane. The third question is, how in the world will it ever get done? If this is the calling of God and we have this ministry, this calling, this job, this task of helping people turn back to him, and that's our priority, how's that going to get done? Let me suggest it's going to happen by representation and re-presentation. Think about that with me. Representation, we represent him. And representation. We've got to let them hear the message of Jesus because maybe they haven't heard it in a while. Maybe like John the Baptist, they thought they knew what was going to happen in life and they knew who God was and who Jesus was, but what am I doing over here? And they need to hear his words once again. The, the representation is so important. One of the depressing kind of moments as I read in the Old Testament. I, you're cheering Moses on. He tolerates this. He's 40 years in the wilderness. And then all of a sudden he seems to get mad and he tees off on a rock and God says, sorry, no promised land for you. And I think, yeah, but he's done so good for such a long time. I had to put up with so much. And, and the problem wasn't that Moses just got mad. God gets mad. He understands that. But if you look in the scripture, you'll find that he tells Moses, he says, the reason I can't let you in is because you didn't represent me in that moment as holy, as separate. You see, if he had kicked the trash can before or after that moment, I don't think he'd have been in much trouble. But in this moment of taking the staff and touching the rock and saying it is the God of all creation who provides you water in the desert, that was a holy moment. He just picked the wrong time to be mad. And we could take some time and say, how'd that happen? Well, he had just lost his sister, Miriam. She died, and nobody cared because she'd turned on him. And the nation didn't grieve with him, so they weren't there for him. He was pretty depleted. And we could take a little time on that, but that's not what we're here for. We're here to understand how important it is for you and me to represent God so that we can re present God. This weekend, Martin Luther King celebration of his birthday tomorrow. Uh, What a great leader, not a perfect man, but a godly man who tried to always draw attention back to the truth of scripture. Now there's a picture that's going to pop up on the screen and it's one uh, from from a book. I want to pull up a quote that I have on on that, if you will. It's a picture of, of him, and he, he took his daughter, young daughter, he dressed up in his suit, and he went out into their front yard where there had been another cross that was burned in his front yard. And from the book, The Strength to Love, that he wrote, here's what it says in this moment as he was trying to respond and represent Christ after this type of treatment. He says, the ultimate weakness of violent retaliation is that it's a descending spiral begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. 
Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder the hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate, and so it goes. Returning evil for evil multiplies evil, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. You see, the way you and I respond in life, the way we represent God and his message, and the way we represent him to the world around us makes all the difference in the world. I think he's called us to do it visibly, to do it verbally, and to do this intentionally. I mean, Eve, we could probably write a little book like that kindergarten book, Everything I Need to Know in Life I Learned in Kindergarten, Everything I Need to Know in Life I Learned in Sunday School, from the little songs, This Little Light of Mine. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no. Don't let Satan blow it out. <laughs> All those life-forming little verses that I learned singing growing up, I didn't know. I might need to obey that someday. How do you and I respond? And how do you and I pass on to this next generation? Helping them represent. Helping them represent. How can we help one another spiritually raise each other's kids? Our, our kids, as they've all grown up, got their own families now, they're a product of loving people like Northside through the years in different churches who have come alongside and encouraged them. You see, whoever said it takes a village, I would say, I understand that in a certain context. I think it takes a church family to raise a child, to have a spiritual home. How can we do that best? Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, he says, you've heard from me these, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. I, I love the picture of four generations. Nathan pointed that out to me. It's been a favorite verse of mine for a long time. He said, dad, don't you just love just seeing Okay, you got Paul, and he's passing things on to Timothy. And he said, Timothy, you got to make sure that you have trustworthy people that you pass this on to uh, and teach them these things of God's love and his grace and his truth. And they got to be people who are going to be willing to pass that on. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We, we get the blessing of hearing from a, a family in the life of Northside here, uh, the King family. They've shared a testimony with us of how important they have found it is to, to live out their faith, find fellowship, and make sure that that faith is passed on to the next generation. Let's listen to their story on video right now. Going to church with my mom and my grandma, they had us there every Sunday, whether we wanted to be there or not, but I'm extremely thankful for that because that has developed my faith into what it is now. My friend, Bella, she started working in Discover Town, and one Sunday she invited me to come check it out because she knew I liked interacting with kids. My daughter had came here with a friend, and the expression on her face just telling us, like, how it was. She was wanting us to come because we were in the process of looking 
for a home church and finding somewhere where we can get our faith stronger. I invited my family because I really enjoyed it. And the first weekend that my family came, we all left service and we were in the car and we were like, this is it, this is our home church. We felt um, deeply connected back to the faith and we knew that this was the right decision. It just kept on going through my head, this is where we are supposed to be. The journey that I had being a single mother, raising them and start their faith at a young age, to like start it and get it embedded. My mother, her being a single mother as well due to my father passing when I was a young age. Her faith and passing it on to me, it feels like I've passed the torch on to my kids and then seeing them wanting to share the love of God with kids, like they don't even know that they have that instilled in them that nobody's a stranger. There's nobody a stranger when it comes to Jesus. You're not a stranger. As you know, God gives us all gifts, and I believe our family's gift is to serve these children and get them started in their faith journey and get them connected. I think my favorite part about the experience working in Discover Town is getting to know the kids and the families. I just like getting the kids connected with God and just seeing them light up every time they just walk in the door. They make me like so happy with them singing and dancing. My mom passed her faith down to me and just seeing like me being able to pass the faith down to the kids, it just reminds me of like when my mom passed the faith down to me. Us as a family unit, pouring into the kids each Sunday, making our faith grow stronger, and then seeing my kids want to learn more about Jesus. Most people don't have the opportunity to do this, so I'm very grateful that I get to do this with my family. Isn't that a neat story? Love to hear their family's story about passing that faith, that purpose on, and letting other people know who Jesus is. Now, back, back in the day, I remember there was a song in the 60s I, I remember listening to. It just didn't quite make sense to me. Uh, Simon and Garfunkel, some may remember a little lick out of this. A winter's day in a deep and dark December. I am alone. Gazing through my window to the streets below On a freshly fallen silent shroud of snow I am a rock and I am an island And a rock feels no pain And an island never cries Isn't that cute and full of baloney, isn't it? Any right at all. I, I mean, when we try to think that we're, we're not going to go through life feeling anything, we're not going to let a hurt get us down, that's no way to live. The way to live is dependent upon God and interdependent with one another in, in his family and passing our faith on. It's not the song to sing to your kids. Maybe the song to sing to our kids is one that's just certainly become a favorite of mine here at Northside. All my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath 
that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing along with me, would you? All my life you have been faithful, and all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God, and I will live in the goodness of God. Here's a tough one. And I will tell of the goodness of God. Father, thank you that we get this blessed opportunity, this gift to share your love with others. Help us do that. Help us do it when we're weak, when we're tired, when we're worn, when we experience some doubts and regret, but help us to always place our trust in you and help us to encourage one another along the way so that others might see and hear and know of your love. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend. Love you.